Well, one of the privileges of being in ministry is being a part of and watching and oftentimes officiating weddings. I love seeing weddings. I love seeing a a couple as you're doing premarital counseling and having conversations with them that can't get their eyes off of one another. They're just staring into each other's eyes lovingly and longingly. It's just beautiful. And they hold each other's hands and then you're like, yeah, we used to do that, didn't we? Yeah, they just loved looking at each other and and it didn't matter that their breath stank, praise God, right? They just... They just loved one another and they planned this whole day of this amazing wedding and it comes to the wedding and seems oftentimes things go wrong at weddings. I get a front row seat into the beginning of a marriage and I get to tell people certain things so the wedding doesn't get a little wild. Like I let them know the most important person at the wedding. Who's the most important person at the wedding? The bride, actually the pastor, they're center stage and they have the most lines. Uh, No, I'm just kidding, the bride is the most important person. Uh, But I tell the bride and the groom, I let them know, hey, don't lock your knees. What happens if you lock your knees? You you pass out, you faint. Um, I've seen, I've been here and they fainted. And what do you do at that point, right? You're just like, well... We'll keep going, give them some time. Reception's not yet, you know. Um, I, I've, I've seen the groom show up at the wrong venue. How did that happen? You got to know at least a little bit about your wedding, right? Come on now. Um, I've seen couples that have forgotten the rings. What are we doing here, right? Um, I also, this one was my bad. I said, uh, do you take uh, so-and-so to be your lawfully unwedded wife? And I said the wrong name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's not good. And she was like, who's Rachel? I was like, hold on, I'm sorry. You know, I, I've done that. Um, uh, the most recent wedding that I did, the, the bride gave such beautiful vows that she wrote herself. And I looked at the groom and I said, and you? And he said, ditto. And I was like, that's not how you start a wedding. That's not how you do it. Um, a lot of things can go wrong at weddings. My wife and I, we sent out our wedding invites, our save the dates to everyone, and I have a picture of it here. Uh, Marcus, in, Marcus Witherspoon, Nikki Nelson, we cordially invite you to request your pleasure for company as exchange the vows. We put two times in two places. What's happening? Newbreak New Santa, show up at 2 p.m. on whatever day you want. Also, Newbreak Ocean Beach, show up at 5 p.m. We'll figure it out. Save the date. What date? Don't know. Uh, <laughs> At the bottom, it said, uh, please reserve your spot by June 21st. And then after that, just show up. Don't know whenever. We sent this out with no date. And I'm so thankful that when it comes to weddings, that things go wrong, if things go wrong in weddings, that maybe Jesus could show up. That's where we find ourselves in the book of John today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 2. I actually have our wedding invite with you, because uh, with me, because we're not lying. This really happened. No date on the save the date, but on the back, how cute are we? Two spoons. Just literally. When your last name's Witherspoon, it's too long, so we call ourselves the spoons. It's just adorable. Uh, But John chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. John chapter 2 in the New Testament. uh, So you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where we'll be. If you see Acts or Romans or like 1 Corinthians, you're a little too far. We'll be in John chapter 2. We started our series last week uh, about Uh, The Gospel of John, which points us to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the life of Jesus. Last week we answered the question, who is Jesus? That's what John starts out with. He talks about, in the beginning was the word, Logos, and that is Jesus. He is the word from the beginning. He is the one who was participated in all of creation. In him all things were created, and he's the one we look to. Then there was John the Baptist, J the Baptizer, or J the B, however you want to call him. He would point to Jesus, that Jesus is coming. And then we got to see what happened. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's when John the Baptist saw Jesus. 
And now we get to see that Jesus' ministry is beginning. He has five disciples that he already called at this point. And now he goes to a wedding. I love that we serve an all-powerful God, an all-powerful Savior who loves to pray and loves to party. I love that we serve a God who, who is very, very spiritual and also very social. But there's more to this story. You may be familiar with this story in John chapter 2, what happens at this wedding. But what if there's more to the story? What if God wants to reveal something to us that we may miss? Starting in verse 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus, Jesus had his disciples, and they were invited to the wedding as well. And look at verse 3. And the wine ran out. Jesus told, Jesus' mother told them they don't have any wine. Now, this is really important for us to see. We're like, oh, they're just, the party was kind of on halt for a little bit. No, this is really important. This was like Jewish hospitality. You couldn't run out of uh, the wine. What was happening at this wedding was there was dancing, there was dining, and there was drinking. They're like, we need all three of those. And they said, well, we ran out of wine. Verse 4, what has this concern of yours, this is Jesus speaking, to do with me, woman? <laughs> okay, okay. Now, if I were to say that to my beautiful wife or my mom, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> He'd be praying, right? Be like Jesus. Yes, Lord, change me like only you can, but don't teach me how to say woman to my spouse, right? We don't want that. Uh, Jesus asked, and then he says, my hour has not yet come. He's talking about this really important hour, which we'll see all throughout the Gospel of John. He says this seven times. And he's talking about this hour when he would reveal all who he is through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. He says, that hour has not come. In verse 5, look at Jesus' mom. Do whatever he tells you. Just walks away. Do whatever he says. It sounded like Jesus said no. Hey, it's not my time's not come. What's this got to do with me? And she says, all right, young man, I'm still your mama. Do whatever he tells you and walks away. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars has been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 to 30 gallons. You're talking about 120 to 180 gallons of wine, of, of water. And these Jewish purification jars were necessary because when you would walk into some type of ceremony, um, or like some type of home, if there was going to be a, a, a meal where people were eating, there were these purification jars. And these jars were, were tall, about waist height. Um, they're filled with, you know, 20 to 30 gallons of water. And there'd be a little cup on the inside with a handle on both sides. So you could use either hand. And you'd walk over to it and you'd pick up the cup from the jar. And you'd pour, hand, pour water on it, pour water. Do the same thing on the other side. And then lift them up and you'd pray this beautiful prayer. Um, which, which Jesus often would have prayed, even as he broke bread, which we'll read later on, but essentially says, um, thank you, Lord, our God, creator of the universe, who has blessed us with many things and has also given us this decree of purifying our hands, which I love that idea of prayer. Yes, God, we need to wash our hands, church. Praise the Lord. Um, but they do this prayer, and those jars are just sitting there. But people would have already gone through the washing and the preparation for purification. But Jesus sees the jars, each contain 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus says, fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Isn't that wild? Sometimes 
something miraculous can happen. We have no clue where it came from. But those of us who know Jesus were like, I know what happened. Though the servants had, had drawn the water, they knew. So he called the groom because at this point the groom was in charge of making sure everything was taken care of. So the head waiter tells the groom, everyone sets out the fine wine first. And after the people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. You save the best for last. Right? You have the good stuff now. It doesn't even make sense. Because when the party happens, you bring out the good stuff. Then when people are a little out there, you go, hey, here's the Boone's Farm. Right? Here's just the two buck chuck. This is all you get. Right? If you laughed at that, you need the Lord. Right? You need. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Right? Um. So he tasted it, calls the groom, said, we have the best right now. Verse 11, why did Jesus do this? He did this, the first of his signs. Remember, a sign is pointing to something. In Cana of Galilee, he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. What if something is happening in the story that's more than we maybe have read before or understood before? What if this idea of Jesus doing something at this party can represent something for us? There was a great need at this party. It was a beautiful occasion and there was a a dramatization of what exactly was happening. Something is going on where they're in desperate need of something that only Jesus can do. What are some of the needs that you walked in here today with? Like something that you're thinking, if I could ask Jesus to do anything, it would be to fix this, to change this, to heal this, to write this. To handle this, what if we could walk with our need today and walk through this text to see how Jesus wants us to do something with these needs that we have? Whether that need is spiritual, emotional, mental, relational, whatever it may be. What if there is a need that you walked in with today that Jesus wants to change, that he wants to fix, that he wants to resolve? So whatever that need is, what if you just brought it to the forefront of your mind Maybe it's just been on your heart. You're thinking, Marcus, you act like I haven't been thinking about it this entire day. I can't help but think about it. Don't just ask me to think about it. What am I supposed to do with it? We're going to get there. But whatever that need is, let's bring it to him first. And I want to pause and pray. Because I believe God wants to speak to us what we do with our need. When we're in desperation. So let's pray together. God, we're here with our greatest needs, with our greatest fears, our greatest pains. And we ask, Lord, what do we do? Lord, we know that you are a good, a loving, a powerful God. So we know that you don't want us to stay in this position, but you want us to learn from this position. So we're ready to hear from you. Walk with us, guide us, and be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So what do I do with that greatest need? What do I do with that thing that I know God could do something about? Why is he not doing something with it? What if it starts with me just trusting that he can do something about it? What if I'm willing to trust Jesus with my concerns. Right? No matter how trivial or how tragic it may seem. I remember growing up in church, um, I, I was part of these little groups, and I really didn't uh, believe anything that was going on, but people were talking about prayer, and I was like, oh, I'll go out and pray, we'll do that. And they're like, you know, any prayer needs? And they're going around this group, and people are like, unspoken, unspoken, unspoken. Oh, I echo that prayer, I echo that prayer. And I was like, I got a hangnail. That's what I'm praying about. The pastor kind of looked at me, um, You're going to pray for that? And I was like, oh, hold on. You said we serve a God who cares. So if he doesn't care about my hangnail, what makes me think that I can trust him with loss in my life? 
if he doesn't care about a hangnail, what's, what's going to happen when the bills can't be paid? Does he really care or does he only care about some things? And so I prayed. Pastor probably fuming. Lord, I call down heaven for this hangnail. And I don't know if it was just a prayer or if it was like biology doing its thing, but about a week later that hangnail was gone and I was praising Jesus. But it's still today, I'm, I'm still here today standing as a man who says, I still pray for things like a hangnail. Because he truly does care. It may seem trivial to you, but think of the heart of a father, the heart of a parent. When their child walks up and interrupts them. The whole world is falling apart. Why? What happened? I can't find my toy. And you're like, that doesn't. But what do you do? We're going to find it. When my nephews run up to me. And they say, it's broken. It's not working. I'm like, it's just a video game. It's not going to matter in your life in 10 minutes. What do you do? I got to do something about it. So what if that's the father that we serve. Who's even better and more loving than anything we could ever dream of. Stands before us. And says, what do you need? Like, actually, I just have this lower back pain. God, could you do something with it? You're standing in front of an almighty, powerful God, and you could ask for anything, and you ask to be healed of back pain? Yep, sure enough. No matter how trivial, no matter how tragic, what if we brought our concerns to him? And what if we said the most difficult word to say in the English language? Help. I was going to ask you all to say, I need help, but I know that's a little too vulnerable. So look at someone else and say, you need help. Because they need help, for sure. Um, but what if we could truly, in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and say, God, I don't have much, but help. What if that's your one word for the year? Help. In the midst of your prayer, God, I don't have all the words to say. I don't even know if I'm doing this right. Am I supposed to close my hands? Can I have my eyes open? One eye open? What am I supposed to do? But what I do know, help. What if we could do that with our need? But we have to be thinking about what's actually taking place in this text. Because we think about weddings. We think about marriage and we're like, oh, it's cool that just one day happens. And then we're like, on to the next thing, whatever. No, we need to be thinking of the Hebrew and the Jewish mindset. What would happen for a wedding was there was this beautiful moment where the groom... Potential groom walked up to the potential bride and asked for this thing called betrothal. Like, we're going to be in relationship. It's, it's nearly a marriage. And for the next year, the groom would go and prepare everything for the wedding. They'd talk with the family, and the bride and her family would just simply wait. Ladies, wouldn't that be awesome? All on the guy to figure it out. So the groom would then go. And for a year, they would plan this amazing day, this amazing moment in the midst of their betrothal. And then the day would come, and homeboy would walk with his entire posse over to the lady's house. And he would say, it's time, baby. Everything's ready. And she'd be like, really? Everything's ready. And then there would be a parade, and they would walk through the, most, the longest way possible so everyone could see them. And people would be clapping and cheering, and there'd be music, and people would be throwing gifts at their feet. You got gifts before the wedding even started. And if the gift wasn't good enough, here's where it gets wild. If the gift wasn't good enough and it brought dishonor to the family, the couple could sue you. You're like, should we bring that back? Because I've gotten some gifts. You know, no. But it gets even more wild as they're walking to the destination of the wedding. The parade is going on. They walk into this beautiful room. And the bride looks at the groom and says, all of this for me? And he says, I wish I could do more. 
And she looks at all the food that is there, all of the wine that is there. She says, all of this for our day? I wish I could do more. That's how much I love you. And for the rest of our lives, I want to celebrate our love for one another and how God is with us in this. All of, all of this is us. Now that everyone else who came to the party and was following the parade, they sit down, they're ready for the meal, all the food is there. But if there wasn't enough food, if there wasn't enough wine, the people who arrived at the party could sue the couple. It gets wild. <laughs> so there's this place of <clears throat> potential embarrassment and dishonor because the couple had run out of wine at this amazing party. And I'm sure the bride, let's be honest, she's looking over at the groom. We ran out of wine, didn't she? And just smiling for everyone. I thought this wasn't going to be how he started our wedding. <laughs> How's it going? How's it going? No, there should be more coming. Isn't there more coming, huh, babe? Yeah. But they ran out of wine. So, so Mary runs up to Jesus. They've run out of wine. They, they don't have any more wine. I want you to think about what Mary is facing at this moment because, because she's saying there's going to be shame, maybe even a lawsuit that goes, that happens to this couple. She's telling Jesus, son, you know what shame feels like. Because as, as, as a teenager, an angel came to me and told me that I'd be carrying the son of God and no one else believed me. And for 30 years, we've been walking in shame because people didn't believe that you really are who you say you are and who I believe that you are. I don't want shame for this couple. And most likely, just how weddings were done, they would have been really close, uh, close family member or really close friends that was essentially family. This is our family. We have enough shame on our family. And I'll be the one to bear it. But Jesus, we got to do something about this. And at this time, it's not just wine it just kept the party going. A wine was essential. Because wine was not simply just a beverage, it was something that represented exhilaration and celebration. And we're so excited for what is to come and we want to celebrate what God is already doing. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says that wine gladdens the heart of men. All that God has given us, wine gladdens the heart of men. Wine was actually attributed to joy. That's what we see all throughout scripture. In fact, rabbis at the time, people who would have disciples at the time would say, when the wine has run out, the joy is gone. What John wants us to get is no Jesus, no wine. No Jesus, no joy. So Mary walks up to Jesus and says, their joy is gone. Have you ever run out of some joy? Has your wine ever run out? When you feel like you have nothing else to give, nothing else to offer? I've noticed that it seems our wine, it seems our joy runs out when everything looks perfect on the outside. Because you have people coming up to you and, oh, why, are you, why are you in a bad mood? I mean, look, you have the family, you have the job, you have the finances, you have the car, you have everything going for you. Why, why are you not happy? And you just, you wish you could shout from the root, my joy is gone. I'm learning that sometimes when it seems like everything is perfect, that your joy may run out. And God may allow something to run out so we can start running to him. And notice how she does it. The wine ran out. They don't have any wine. And just, just tells Jesus the problem. It's kind of like my mom growing up. She'd say, trash is full. <laughs> and I'd say, I don't look over at her and be like, trash is full. No way. Again, I wouldn't be here today. 
I'd walk, yes ma'am, and I'd take that trash out, and it just doesn't matter what I was doing. Give me 10 minutes. There was no give my mom 10 minutes. I gave you life. I brought you in. I'll take it. You, we all know it. There's dishes in the sink. Yes, ma'am. You better put pause on that game. That was before we had like online video games. So like everything had a pause. You try light. There's no pause on this game. Yes, there is. Boop. Unplug it. Yes, ma'am. So mama just says, hey, they're out of wine. And I'm wondering if through this 20, 21 days of prayer, what if we just brought our concerns to Jesus and didn't tell him how to fix it? Because I know for me, I, I'm really good at telling Jesus what to do with what I've given him. Hey, Jesus, there's this relationship, and here's what I need you to do. And if you could do this in three days, that'd be super cool. You can do it in one, but I'll give you some time. You probably need it. <laughs> but what if I just brought my concern that, Lord, I have pain. Lord, I've seen tragedy in life. God, my heart is heavy. Lord, I'm experiencing anger. What if I just left it at his feet? What if my prayer was something like, with all of this, help? I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not going to tell you when. Lord, help. And it would seem that Jesus' response would be, of course I'll be there. Right now, we're going to do something about it. But what does he say? What's this got to do with me? Woman. Now, the word woman in, in the original language was a, a way of, of being respectful without using someone's name, but it necessarily wasn't warm. It's like ma'am today, but not like, oh, yes, ma'am, but ma'am, ma'am. It's that kind of ma'am. So in other words, hey, they're out of wine. He says, ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, and I'm sure... Like any mother, she was like, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> ma'am. And he wants to let her know that something is different. And he lets her know, ma'am, our relationship has changed. For 30 years of my life, you would tell me what to do and I would follow. But our relationship is changing because I do whatever the father says. And just as if he is going to tell me to do something, that's when I do it. I'm not going to give more wine because you said give more wine. What I'm going to do is talk to my father because my hour hasn't come yet. And mom, which you may not know, is the moment that I reveal truly who I am, the rest of the world is going to want to end my life. And I don't know if my father wants that to happen right now because the timetable starts the moment they see what happens first that I truly am the Messiah the son of the living God so so ma'am my hour has not come yet and what you're asking is a real thing that starts the countdown of my last breath and it's a beautiful hour because I let the world know that I'm here to give all of myself to all people so that all people would know that I am the Messiah and they've been forgiven and that I will resurrect on the third day and I'll ascend into heaven. I'll live in their hearts and I'll provide them with the Spirit. It's going to be a powerful day, but that hour is not now. And so he gives her a not yet. And I wonder how many times you've received a not yet response to one of your prayers. When God says no or not yet, I often would think that it was because of his inability. The older I get, I'm learning it's because of his wisdom. So God, just do this now. And he says, oh, well, <laughs> not yet, Marcus. Well, God, you could do it now, just not yet. Why? Because you're not able? And he says, sir. 
And I'm learning it's his wisdom. And I wonder if Mary knew that because no one knows their child like a parent who lives with them and walks with them. And she looks at Jesus and says, I know what you're saying, baby. Looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he says. This should be our mission for our lives. What's it, what does it look like to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a believer? Do whatever he tells you. What about when it gets tough? Do whatever he tells you. What about when I'm on the mountaintop and everything is perfect? Do whatever he tells you. What should I do with my life? How much should I read? How much should I do whatever he tells you? It should be the posture of us as believers, as not yet believers. I'm still trying to figure out God, but I'll do whatever he says. Essentially, Mary looks at the servants and says, stay ready. Because he's about to do something. And I wonder if, if you've been walking with Jesus like I have. And I just want to do whatever he says. But sometimes it might get a little wild. I wonder if Mary was, was saying, do whatever he tells you. And, and just so you know, I remember when he was a kid. And he'd be playing with all of his friends. And every once in a while he would stop and the ball would fall on the ground. And he would just look up to heaven. He would almost look as if he lived there. And he would just pause for half an hour to an hour, sometimes more. And then look back. And it seemed something changed, like there was a conversation. Just do whatever he tells you. Because there was a moment when, when he was 12 years old and we went down to Jerusalem. And we were worshiping and everything was beautiful and the whole family's walking back and kids are running with kids and it's a huge walk and, and we get back home and it's been three days. We realize we don't have Jesus so we had to go back and we lost Jesus which is terrible I know. So if you've lost your kids you're just like Mary. It's okay. Right? We lost Jesus so we go back into the temple and, and he looks at me and his father and says why are you worried? Don't you know I'm about my father's business? So when I tell you do whatever he tells you he's about his father's business. And he might take you down a path, but he won't let you know exactly what that path looks like or how rocky it is or how slopey it is, but, but he's going to be walking with you and leading you through it. He might ask you to do something that's really difficult and painful, but he's going he's gonna to walk with you in it. He's, he's going to be there. He, he, might, he might cause you to walk through a storm, but, and then he's going to walk on the water. It doesn't fully make sense, but just do whatever he tells you. Right? He, he might have you wash seven times in the Jordan River because you have leprosy and then all of a sudden it's going to go away and it doesn't make sense but don't give up on six. It, it might be something where, where he might have you spit in the mud and rub it on someone's eyes to give them sight. I know it may not make sense but do whatever he tells you. I don't know how he's going to do it but I know who can do it. And maybe you're in a season right now you're thinking I don't know how. Oh but if we know who? I've learned in this 21 days of prayer if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. So she says, the tomb's empty. Anything's possible. The tomb can be empty. Okay. Do whatever he says. And if we're going to live in this posture, doing whatever God says, we have to pay attention to how Jesus wants to make things right. Because I'm sure that conversation went on with Mary and Jesus. We said, I'm submitted to the Father, Mom. I do whatever he says. I'm about his business. And as the servants are listening, Jesus maybe looked at them and said, submit to the Father. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. And if you want to experience what Jesus has to offer, what if we first walked in obedience as he tells us the first thing? Look what he tells them. Fill the jars with water. There's water in the jars, Jesus. That's what I would have said. That's why the miracle would not have happened. I would have been like, I'm, he'd have been like, Marcus, leave. Okay, now we can actually get started. 
fill the jars with water. Jesus, there's 20 to 30 gallons in six of these jars. That's 120 to 180 gallons. That's a lot of water. We're already good on the water. Fill them with water, Marcus. Okay, done. I don't know. Like, there's already, what am I supposed to do? Probably took them. These servants who are at the wedding, simply working at the wedding, start working for Jesus. And they have to take these heavy jars. I want you to think about how much water we're talking about. Imagine if you walked over to the store, you were at Smart and Final, and you walked out with 180 gallons of milk. You'd look insane. They're carrying these purification jars that already had a purpose. That's for purification. And Jesus says, no, fill them because I'm about to transform what you're so used to. But God, this is how he's always done it. No, it's not going to be that way anymore. Because where Jesus is, he's changing things. And so they have to take a jar over. Because there wasn't a tap. Like, is he going to give us some tap water? Or is this, no, we got to walk the extra miles to go do it? No, it's going to be fun. This is going to be good. And while everyone's at the wedding having fun, you just let us know if we can do anything else for you, Jesus. This is great. They walk over to the well. Maybe have a bucket to go down into the well to fill that. Then maybe there's three gallons at a time. Or maybe they're pumping. And have you ever noticed when Jesus asks you to do something that doesn't quite make sense, where the instructions don't match what the need is, that the enemy starts to get really loud? Jesus, I'm doing what you said. Here's jar number one. I don't, I don't fully get it. Um, but we've got to do this six more times, huh? I mean, well, there's already water in these guys. Why don't we just, why don't we tell him we filled them up? He'll probably know. He'll probably know. So we empty out the water? Yeah, empty it out. And then start all over with new water? Yeah, I think he wants new water. I, I wish he gave, I wish he like wrote it down maybe. Could have done this better. I got to tell Jesus how to do his job. <laughs> You're still pumping and the enemy says, you still going to believe him? That's probably enough water. Now I got to fill this to the brim. Notice what they did, filled it to the brim. Now I'm going to keep filling this up. Jesus, there's number two. We still got um, four more. So um, if you want to speed it up, however you want to do this, is really cool. By the way, Jesus, we're in Cana. And, and there's, there's already a lot of opportunity. People make wine here. So give us some money and we'll just go get some wine. That's what they have here. We, we, have, we have grapes all over. We have oil all over. God, we can do whatever you want to do, Jesus. Just, just don't make us keep doing this. Do whatever he tells you. Right, so, so keep filling up. Okay, I'll fill up the jar. We're on number three, four, five, six. So Jesus, we got all these jars. It doesn't make sense though. You should have given us money. Maybe you should have given us some grapes. We can stomp on some grapes in this house. Now just get the water. Lord, your instructions seem unrelated to the need though. Like the need was, she said we're out of wine and you just had us fill up some pots that are used for purification with water, which they're going to have to pray for those again. Those are no longer, those are no longer holy. Those have been covered in dirt now. We filled them up to the brim. The need was wine and the instructions were fill it up with water. Jesus, you're not, you're not getting it. Have you seen that in our lives? When you've been praying to God for something? God, I'm struggling on my finances. And he says, give. And you go, I don't think you get how numbers work. I'm struggling in finances. And you say, give. Doesn't work. 
God, at work, there's people that are, that are really annoying and I'm tr- I have some enemies at my job. Change my job. And he says, pray for your enemies. No, God, I want you to change my job. No, you need to be there because you need to be a light in that place. Well, Jesus, I'm, I'm single and I'm really waiting for that big, just powerful person that walks into my life and their smile is beautiful and I can't stand waiting and being single. And he says, wait. Jesus, I don't think you're hearing. I think we got some disconnect. Channel two, channel two, channel, you know. I don't, I don't like waiting. And he says, wait. I'm struggling here. And he says, do this. Lord, it's not connecting. They seem unrelated. But it's the beginning of the miracle because it starts with our obedience to experience the miracle. And he says, you're going to experience this miracle, which is going to be unexplainable and undeniable. But it starts with you being obedient. And they said, he said, first, I want you to fill it up with water. Now I want you to draw some out. And they're like, this is still water, by the way. I don't know if he knows. Does anyone have a, anyone got a spoon or something? I don't want to use the purification cups. Anyone got a spoon to get, should we pick a certain one? What number do you like? Should we pick five or three? I don't know. Just pick a number one through six. Jesus, go. You know, what do you, we'll draw some out. What do we, take it to the head waiter. Oh, no, no. I like my job. I don't want to lose my job. This is water. If you're trying to do something, it hasn't happened yet. But notice many of us, we, we give up in some of the steps to the miraculous. Step one, fill the jars. Well, I guess too much work. Step two, draw some out. God, it doesn't make sense. Step three, take it to the head waiter. I think I'm just gonna stop right there because that can end my life. How many of us have not experienced our miracle because we gave up on step two when he said, there's still a few more steps, Marcus? Because you're not gonna, gonna experience it because You're not walking in obedience. Experience and obedience are connected. If we serve a miracle work in God, where is he asking me for obedience? Because maybe he wants me to fill the jars with water and what something that is cheap so he can make it something that is costly, something that is tasteless to something that is flavorful. Maybe he wants to do something. Maybe he wants to save the best for last, but I get to be a part of this miracle. And it seems out of order because the head waiter tries it. He tastes and sees that the Lord is good. And he goes, get the groom in here. He didn't say it was amazing. He just said, get the groom. So the servants are like, okay, this is not going to be a good day, guys. It's probably two weeks notice today. I'm out. I'm out. Hey, um, groom, so uh, you ran out of wine. And he's like, yes, I'm fuming. I know. My wife is not excited. I know this is a bad day. Um, there's a guy named Jesus here. Do you know him, Jesus? Yeah, he's like that carpenter guy. Yeah. Um, he told us to fill some cups of water. And then draw some out and give it to the head waiter. The head waiter? I know it was, it was water, but it, he said it tasted good, so I don't know. But go, go talk to the head waiter. The head waiter says, this is out of order. This is not how we typically do things. I, I'm believing that this year, God wants to do some things that are out of order in our lives. I believe that we're walking into a year where we have what, what I feel like the Spirit is telling me, unscheduled miracles. Of things we haven't asked for and God's already doing. Where he says, we've been praying, God, God, would you just do this? And he says, no, I'm working on this because this impacts this and this will change your life. He said, but God, that, that's not the order of how things go. You're supposed to do it through me and then I do it through others. You know, so I'm going to do it through that person. That's going to impact you. That's going to change your life. It's going to change your job, change your career, change where you're living. Everything's going to change for the power of his glory. And so the power of God is revealed throughout the earth. Unscheduled miracles that may be out of order. God wants to do something. And because there's miracles on the other side of disobedience. What if he's saying, I want to reveal who I am, but I want to invite you to be a part of the miracle. If these jars were, had a purpose before, 
But now I want you to participate in the miracle because revelation and participation are uniquely interwoven. And he gives us this invitation to be part of the miracle. We're going to have our hospitality team come forward and we're going to share in communion together. Because it reminds us the power of that wine. Because just, just again, get the image. There's six jars, five disciples, and Mary. You and I are the jars. Which already seemingly had some type of purpose. Filled with something. And they fill it to the brim. Because we don't serve a God who simply works in addition. We serve a God who works in transformation. Jesus said, I'm not going to add something inside of these full jars because it's going to run over. What I'm going to do is transform what's inside of it. And the situation, you're not going to be able to see the potential. You think, God, this, this is the end right now, everything that I'm seeing. And he says, no, there's potential on the other side of it. But you're not going to see the potential in the situation. You're going to see potential in submission. But God, how can I submit when I have nothing to offer? He says, just give you me. In this 21 days of prayer, we kicked it off on Monday with our worship and prayer night. And on Wednesdays, we have 6 a.m. prayer. And it's been powerful. It's been awesome. We want to see you there. But Monday, and there's a woman that goes to our campus. Her name is Crystal. And she is a prayer warrior. Um, she's there serving communion today. Crystal prays for our staff and our pastors by name. She prays for you. And she, I mean, talk about someone who has a war room. Someone who goes to war on behalf of the things of God. And she walked up and says, I heard a word from the Lord. And I was like, I'm, I'm ready. And so I grabbed the other CPs and Pastor Joanne. And, and she said, I heard the Lord saying that he's ready to do it. All he needed was a willing vessel. She says, I saw an image like this. People that were just willing and yielding. And then she hit us. And she said, it starts with you. And I said, Yes. What if this year God is just looking for willing and yielding vessels who are willing? God, whatever you want to do. Change me like only you can. I'm here with my heart in your hands, Lord. And he says, I want to do something because you can't see the potential in the situation because you're not fully walking in submission. You'll get the experience when you walk in obedience. Get there and watch what happens. And so you get to that place. And then the miracle happens. The miracle is revealed. And miracles all throughout scripture are for our enjoyment and our enlightenment. Every single miracle you see. Enjoyment and enlightenment. He healed the lame man. Yeah, that's enjoyment. When everything's working right, you're enjoying it. And you're enlightened because he truly is the son of God. When he walks on water and calms the seas, yeah, that's enjoyment and enlightenment. But this miracle, he says, I want you to enjoy what I have provided for you. But I want you to be enlightened. That's what happens in verse 11. We get to see. Jesus did this. The first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. God reveals who he is. And then we say, I can't help but believe. This was his first sign. A sign doesn't get you somewhere. It points to where you need to go. If I said, we're going to exit the building through the exit signs, that doesn't make sense. But the signs lead to the door that get you to where we need to go. Jesus says, it's not simply about the wine, it's about the way. And don't miss the miracle because you were so focused on the wine that you missed the one in front of you. And everything that we read all throughout 
the Gospel of John and everywhere else in Scripture, there's a literal meaning and there's a symbolic meaning. Literally, water was turned into wine. Maybe you're used to the story and you're like, oh yeah, for sure. But symbolically, Jesus is transforming what was used for one purpose into a new and holy purpose. Why wine? Because we read in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist and John, uh, the author of the gospel, were trying to share that Jesus is the better Moses. So if we go back to this moment when the Israelites are in Egypt, Moses walks up and says, let my people go to Pharaoh. And he says, no. And then these plagues happen. And the first one is turning water red into blood to prove that the glory of God is powerful. He's here and you should believe in him, Pharaoh. And so Jesus, his first action in ministry, as he kicks off his ministry, is turning water red to wine. Because he is the better Moses. He's the greater Moses. Why a marriage? Why a wedding? Well, Genesis starts with a marriage. Adam and Eve. Jesus kicks off his ministry at a marriage. Revelation ends with a marriage. Blessed are those who enter into the supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. He was identified in Scripture as the groom of the wedding. And that Scripture goes on and says, Blessed are those who walk the bride of Christ who are dressed in white to represent the righteousness of God. You and I are the bride of Christ. Scripture begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. The feast that we get to have together. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been saying, there is a relationship that I want with you. And I transform what is inside of you. And I clothe you in righteousness so that the wedding day would be beautiful. And you walk into this amazing wedding day and you say, all this for me? And Jesus with holes in his hands says, I would do it again. All of this for me? All of this for you? Yeah, all of it. In a meal like this, Jesus is with his disciples and he picks up the bread, which has already had a purpose. Be reminded how they had to go with haste and how they had to pack and just this bread that is given to us from God and manna and had so many different meanings and Jesus says no now this is my body that is given for you because no one can take it from me I give it and be like me because I want you to give yourself to the work of God she said this is my body so if you have the bread I'm going to pray together before we take it together God I thank you you've given your son Jesus Lord that that feast that happened in John chapter 2, and that great marriage, that great wedding banquet is just a taste of what we get to experience for eternity with you. God, that we get to celebrate through communion, that it's remembrance through communion, it's devotion through communion and expectation. So God, we're ready. Change us, transform us. You know, we pray. Amen. Let's take the bread together. And then Jesus grabbed the cup, which represented uh, the blood that was put over the doorpost as they were in Egypt. And as they were hoping that they'd be able to flee, 
an angel would come and pass over the doors that had blood over the doorposts. That's where you get the word Passover. And Jesus picks up the cup and says, I, I know that you have a meaning for this, but now this is my blood that's poured out. I wonder if they thought of this wedding that we just read about. Man, do you remember when he turned water into wine? And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Every time my wife and I have a wedding anniversary, you don't just remember the day. Oh, that was a cool day. And keep going on. It's remembering for the purpose of devotion to say those same vows that I said that day, I still mean today. The same vows that I wrote, that I said I loved you with, are the same vows that are in my heart today. And am I perfect? No, but those vows mean something to me. Jesus says, every time you do this, remember what I did for you. So Lord, as we are prepared to receive the cup today, let us be reminded of how you transform, how you cleanse, and how you reveal for all the purpose that we'd experience your glory and be changed forever and believe in you. So let's take the cup together. Amen. Let's take the cup. Wherever Jesus is, he's cleansing and he's transforming. That is the walk of a Christ follower. Allowing him to cleanse, allowing him to transform and change you from the inside out. Do whatever he tells you. We were praying on Monday and just thinking of this idea of even preparing for this message, do whatever he tells you. Uh, we were praying and I said something along the lines of, uh, about human trafficking during the prayer. And then I walked down and someone walked up and she said, your prayer really moved me. I said, you may not know me, um, but I work for an organization called Grace, which we partner with, Girls Rising Above Child Exploitation. And I told her, my wife and I, so we, we have a great passion to help um, teens and youth that are struggling and we want to show them a, a place of hope and a place of peace and love and um, we plan to foster and adopt and we're so excited for it and um, we've actually had a foster youth before I'm telling her the story I said but this foster youth was was really hurt and was and was abused where they were at before and, and went through so much pain and resentment and and just had this this heart where they knew that that we loved them but they really didn't want to receive it and so they would already push the boundaries and kind of stretched the rubber band hoping that we'd let go but we never did and then after some of the decisions they made they were actually kicked out of the program and we still think about that youth every single day and we pray for them every single day and then the person that I met for the first time at the worship night she says did you have and says the name of the foster youth that we have and that we had and I said yes and I start weeping I says but we have no clue where she is because um She's gone. She, she left and was kicked out of the program. We have no clue where she's at. And she starts crying and she says, she's doing so much better now. What? She has her own apartment. Um, she talks about how much you guys loved her. And she said, you guys are saints. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. And thank you for being a part of her healing. And I just started weeping. And, and I couldn't wait to tell Nikki because it, we had no clue. And we're like, God, did we do the right thing? And just in that conversation, I felt God say, you did what I told you. You had to trust me with the rest. And somehow we got to play a small role in someone's life. What if this year God wants to do something in you and through you, but you just have to be willing and yielding. Lord, I'm going to do whatever you tell me, even when it doesn't make sense. What if there's something God wants to do in you and through you? I want to pray for us before I welcome up Pastor Kamar. But Lord, today we come before you. We're willing and yielding. Do what only you can. 
We don't have all of the answers, but, but what we can do is do whatever you tell us. So Lord, would you speak? Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to hear when you speak. Let us be transformed and changed by you. Lord, let us not give up on jar number five or jar number three. Let us do the full work all the way, Lord. Be reminded that we are the jars. You are the one who transforms us. You are the ones who, who changes what is common into something that is supernatural. Lord, I thank you. We need you. Change us forever from the inside out to look more and more like you. Jesus, I believe we're in a season of miracles and we're ready to do what we need to do to experience what you want to do. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.